Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined, as always, by Padres Jagoff. Yes, I'm here broadcasting from Jagoff headquarters in my mother's basement, uh, ready to talk some Padres. I've got the uh, I've got the soundboard queued up, which of course I debuted in my uh, non-Marver podcast a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we're we're trying something new here. Uh, normally, I record the podcast and then I go through and I do some engineering, but uh, we're doing it a little different now because I'm experiencing some technical difficulties. We also like the soundboard from that previous podcast and thought it'd be fun to get it in here. So uh, let's do that. Yes, you've really incompetently blundered yourself with this uh, podcasting, uh, or as I like to call it, uh, pulled a D. Yeah, yep. No, I, I need to get a new computer for doing podcasting. I, I guess it's not really a great reason to get a new computer, but uh, w- whatever happened to my the operating system I was using just does not get along with exporting any of the audio. So I, I anyways, let let's let's move on to Padres related things. So the I've seen some pretty shitty situations in my life. But nothing has ever sucked more ass than this. You like that? That's a drop. That that's, that's that also sounds like the Padres trade deadline, actually. So the pod the trade deadline came and went. The Padres did basically nothing. They actually traded for a left handed relief pitcher, something they had uh, or sorry, a left-handed specialist. They had had left-handed relievers, but no one that was actually good against left-handed batters, um, Mark uh, Zepchinski. But other than that, they stayed put. And you and I both did not see that coming. I think on the podcast last time, we both had benchmarked the odds of uh, at least, I think it was Joaquin Benoit leaving at, at above 50%. We thought there was a reasonable chance James Shields would leave, Ian Kennedy, Will Venable, Justin Upton certainly was on that uh, talking point list as well. Uh, Craig Kimbrell. Does that cover everyone? I mean, basically the entire team was rumored to be leaving, and none of them left. And Yeah. I mean, I think we had some tempered expectations. Like, I think we expected the expiring contracts to get traded. And I actually thought we agreed that maybe they weren't going to make a big move with, like, a Tyson Ross or Kimbrell. Yeah. I could be remembering wrong, but... I mean, I, I guess I was my, – my line of reasoning was, you know, sell the players whose value is at their highest. That included Tyson Ross, but I didn't think they actually would do it. I just thought that that would make sense to do. Um, but they didn't even do the things that we thought made sense to do. I mean, I don't really – I guess, you know, we'll, we'll transition to this in a minute here, but I don't really understand uh, going for it this season. I I, I just – Well, as such, they're not. <laughs> That was just cover. It was PR cover. You really think AJ Preller thinks we're we're playing for the playoffs right now? I'm not sure that it's all Preller's decision. I mean, I don't think that what happened in this previous offseason coming into the year was necessarily what Preller wanted to do if he had complete job security, you know, and and you know, as he was applying for the position, you know, if No, I don't I don't think so either, but I think Preller when he was quoted saying, uh, you know, I like what we've got. I think we can make a run for the playoffs is pretty much synonymous with Josh Burns saying, uh, Hey, you know, we were really impressed with Johnny Manziel's athleticism. Like it's, it's not that he believes it. It's just, they, they know how to perform their job and make their bosses happy. Right. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, the Padres aren't AJ Preller, right? Or AJ Preller is not the Padres. They're, you know, they, the, the Padres are Seidler and Fowler, and then their edicts 
trickle down to the people below them that make the decisions. And so, you know, I think the Padres, meaning Fowler and, and D, actually think that they have a chance at the playoffs. Where, like a reasonable chance, more more than what they were going to get in return uh, for these, you know, expendable pieces, expiring contracts, Will Benable, Ian Kennedy, Justin Upton, and so forth. Um, you know, and I think that's unreasonable. But Well, I mean, it's possible. Let's not forget that they thought we were a playoff team last year also. So, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so let's let's just go with their line of reasoning here, or at least what they're saying, you know. So the trade deadline came and went. The Padres had a three-game series against uh, the Miami Marlins. Then they had four against the Milwaukee Brewers here. Um, you know, so far they've lost two of three against the Brewers. Uh, they won two of three in Miami. So that puts them at a big, fat three-and-three three on this road trip, or at least since the trade deadline on this road trip. And they have fallen further from the playoff picture. They're now, I believe, at this point, eight games behind uh, the Cubs or the Giants. I can't remember who is leading now after today's games, but it's not looking good. They started with a 4% chance at the trade deadline. It's now down to, I think you said, 2% right before this podcast started. You know, that's not good. And I think, you know, already the, the plan has sort of fallen flat on its face. Because if you can't be beating... Well, it was, a, it was a fantasy to start with. I mean, even when we were hot from the trade deadline on, uh, I think, what did we go, like 9-3 and three or something, uh, counting the two games before that we won against Texas? Something like that. And, like, even during that uh, run, Sorry. We, still, we still lost a game on, on the wild card. So, like, um, it's just a losing fight when it's this deep into the season and you have that many teams to jump that are better – than us. And it's, you know, the thing for me, it's not, it's one thing if you're playing bad competition, and I understand the reasoning is you'll win more games against bad competition. But, you know, what's more important is that the teams in front of you are losing. So if you are playing the teams in front of you, it's actually probably easier to catch up because when you win, they lose by definition. But the Potters right. don't really play those teams. I mean, they have, you know, a three game series with Washington at the end of this month. Uh, I, I believe they still have, you know, a couple series against the Dodgers and same with the Giants, but they don't get to play the Cubs. They don't get to play the, uh, the Pirates. They don't get to play, you know, the Mets again. So, I mean, there's they just have to leapfrog all these teams while not playing them. And that's that's really hard to do. And so even if they play great against these losing teams, they'll never end up in a situation where they're in a great position. It, it, it's just something where they have to play almost you know, they have to win almost 75% of their games to honestly give themselves a reasonable shot of doing it. And, you know, the team's not good enough to do that. And they didn't even add. You know, it's it's one thing that they didn't go out there and trade these pieces that I think everyone was expecting them to trade. And, you know, everyone close to the game thinks it was dumb for them not to trade. But it's another thing for them to then turn around and say, oh, we think we can go for it, but not actually really add in a meaningful way to the roster. Hey, now you're just pandering to the national media who hates us. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think the truth there is somewhere in the middle. I think the national media doesn't like the Padres, or at least doesn't like some people who work for the Padres, maybe. But, you know, I think, I think, the reasonable, I think it's reasonable for them to give them a hard time over the trade deadline. I don't think – I wouldn't say that A.J. Preller has sank the Padres, though. That's not something I would say. So no, it's somewhere it, in between. You know, I've had a change of heart, I think, on the trade deadline. Um, I, I think the strategy was handled poorly by Preller. Uh, I think in general, 
waiting to the last minute is not usually the best strategy. Uh, I don't think I, – I know that some people say, uh, well, then you can play off the desperation of other teams. But, you know, in most cases with business, you do better when there are people competing for your goods or services. So when all of those people already feel their needs and you're not competing with anyone, that's when you get into a situation with the Cubs where they're asking the world for what they what they want and, and there's nothing to play them off of. Um, aside from that, I don't really think they got offered that much for Upton from, you know, from what I've read, um, they got, from what I read, they got offered less than what Cespedes was traded for. Well, and, but, um, but so Upton's not even one I'm upset about, right? I think you and I both were on the board of, you know, getting a comp pick for him, getting a first round pick in return. That's not a bad thing, right? I think when, when the Potter is traded for Justin Upton, I, I know for a fact on the podcast that I said, I would trade those four prospects they traded for a first-round pick. I thought that was a good trade, let alone getting a season of Justin Upton uh, to go with it. Um, and, you know, the odds of signing him, which aren't going to happen, and I think you said they weren't going to happen. But, you know, right, so, but so not trade. What do you think they got offered for – I mean, so I think I, I had assumed, um, you know, a lot of relievers tend to move at, at, at the trade deadline. And there really weren't that many that were traded this year. Um, I'm not sure what they were offered for Benoit. I, I really can't imagine anyone offering much of anything, if anything, for Will Venable or Ian Kennedy. I mean, really? I mean, I Dan Heron got traded for. I mean, I mean, look. Yeah, I, but I, Dan Heron's doing a lot better than Ian Kennedy. Like Ian Kennedy's like a sub league league average pitcher this year. So like, but that's what did we year. expect? People were gonna did they, we thought they were gonna pick up you know three million dollars of payroll to to trade for Kennedy? And give up something? I mean, I, I think the more I think about it, like, I, I just don't think they would have gotten that much for them. I guess. Uh, I'm just <laughs> – I mean, I think there's more of a market for Ian Kennedy. And I guess, you know, on social media, you and I have been called out for our uh, – what's, what's the word to, to use here? Our – well, we said last year that he was the best pitcher on the team last year, and I honestly still believe that. I yeah, think he was. he was the best 2014 pitcher that we had. I think that gets confused with us saying he's the best pitcher on the roster. Um, but, I mean, I think if you if you isolate 2014, I mean, I think he was the best pitcher. I'll still stand by that. And he still – you know, I, I just think that there was still some market for him. Uh, and I, I guess it goes back to, you know, whether or not the, the money being spent on the team is fungible, right? If you can trade Ian Kennedy's salary at the end of the year here and that goes into your pool to spend on other things, you know, if you save $3 million in the second half of the season and that means that the payroll next year can go up by $3 million because you've saved that $3 million, well, then I think trading him for almost anything was a good idea. And that, you know, even doing something like waiving him and just letting him go to whatever team claims him is a good thing. But well, I I, I, I don't know. I, like I, I look at who got traded and what they got traded for, and I, I just don't think I don't think there was much there. I, I actually think that if AJ had gotten an offer, like maybe he would have moved them. Um, it, it seems to me like he was really from you know if you believe the the hated national media, you know he was trying to dump Jerko's contract, which is a totally different topic of why that's the contract he's trying to yeah, dump. Let's, let's but, go there in a minute, but not right now. Uh, so, you know, 
it seemed to me he was trying to attach you know that contract to to maybe negotiating something for a Ross or a Kimbrel, and maybe he was focused on that because there wasn't a market for for a Venable. I mean, honestly, Venable's not a we. Lo- I mean, I love him because he's a lifetime lifetime Padre, but um, you know. He's not that that good. Like he's not a, a, a difference maker for a team. Um, there's not a clear need for you know a fourth or fifth outfielder. Um, I, I just I'm I'm starting to think that there just wasn't anything there, and I think it's total fabrication that the team's going for it in 2015. But maybe maybe there wasn't maybe like riding it out for the season maybe they did a financial calculation like we'll sell you know x percentage more tickets the rest of the season you know it's a clear pr strategy that they're doing with the national media because they've got a unified message like every single team employee that goes on the radio or tv it says the same thing when asked about the national media so it, you know i i personally think of some kind of talking point and strategy from the team I, you know, to and, kind of and rally the fan base. No, and I don't necessarily think that's wrong, right? Like, so for example, if they, if they said, you know, there's a reasonable chance the Padres win a bunch of games against Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Cincinnati and Colorado before coming back for that long homestand at the end of August and the beginning of September, where the Padres play something like, I want to say, 15 out of 20 games are at home, and they wanted to have increased ticket sales, and they thought, you know, based on playing these. You know, poor teams, even if the odds of them making the playoffs are still low because they have to leapfrog all these teams, if they can point at the schedule and say, hey, we're only five games out, you know, come out and support the team. And, you know, they were able to monetize that in terms of, you know, that's five million dollars more at the end of the year in ticket sales and trading Kennedy for nothing and eating that, you know, three million was worth that extra five million, you know, in in sales. I, I guess I can stand by that but you know that hasn't been articulated not that they would articulate that but well they can never say that right. but 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 I, I mean i can at least understand that you know that line of reasoning but i don't think that's necessarily what happened i don't i don't think that's what happened i, I think they just like you said they waited too long to trade these parts they had instead of taking advantage of whatever offers were there beforehand and i think that comes from an edict up above they were waiting too long to see if this team would come together, and in the meantime, many teams have passed them in the standings. So, you know, that's, that's just how it happens. Well, strategically, also, I mean, they painted themselves in a corner. I mean, Fowler and Dee's rhetoric about – and they were very specific on it, and I think it was planned, but to, to, to continually use the phrase fire sale and, and say that this won't be a fire sale. I mean, obviously, San Diego has bad memories of the phrase fire sale – but it was never rumored that the team was going to slash payroll just to slash payroll. Like we were going to go into next season with a $60 million payroll. So Fowler could pocket the difference. Like they weren't pulling a Tom Warner and, and really no, um, no, no national media person said that. I mean, it was reported that we needed to cut payroll, right? To increase flexibility, which I've said many times going into 2016, the fire sale thing is a straw man created by the front office to, you know, so they can say like, look, we said we weren't going to have a fire sale and we didn't do it. Yeah. Um, and, but in the process, they painted themselves in a corner where at, because they, they've now linked, um, you know, trading a contract to increase payroll flexibility with a fire sale. They basically took the option of, of palatably trading a contract, you know, off the table. Yeah, 
No, I don't disagree with any of that. Like, the team would be better off. Like, if, if D was smart, I think, he you would actually just never use the phrase fire sale because that brings up negative connotations. Like, bringing it up makes people think about it. Like, so I, I kind of wonder if that's a planned strategy on their part to to, to, to use that kind of um, wording. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think the team's gotten very creative and very strategic in how they handle social media and their relations with, you know, certainly their flagship radio station having this Padre Wednesday thing. You know, I wouldn't put it past them to have done that, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I, I just don't understand from a strategic standpoint, why you would even mention a fire sale in this town. You know, well, unless there's an ulterior motive for I, it. I don't remember the context in which that was used. I mean, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest right now. I don't pay attention to Padre Wednesday on 1090 because they don't give me anything to, you know, anything useful. They're not asked super difficult questions. You know, they tend to throw the easiest uh, throwaway art one on the Darren Smith show, which is the only show that would ask legitimate questions of them. Um, and so, you know, I don't get, I don't get anything out of those interviews. So I'm not. I wasn't listening when I heard Mike D throw out the term fire sale. I don't know if that was a question that was asked to him. Like, is there going to be a fire sale? I don't, I don't know what it was. And so maybe, I don't know if he brought it up purposefully himself, but. D brought it up. Uh, Cilio brought it up with, uh, with Fowler this morning. Okay. But at this point, Cilio is essentially a Padres employee. You know, if you listen to his interviews. No, for sure. I mean, today, for example, when we were talking about this before the podcast started. I guess Ron Fowler said that the Padres are in the best position they've been in in at least a decade. And I believe you told me that Dan Cilio said 25 years, which is obviously horrible math, seeing as the Padres went to the World Series in 1998, which is less than 25 years ago. Well, it encompasses like half of the Gwynn era. And like, I mean, I don't know if Padres, we weren't that great for part of ni- the 90s, but... I don't think anyone considers those really like the dark years per se. No, and they had a ton of talent on the roster, even if they didn't win, right? I mean, McGriff, Sheffield. I, I think if you go back 25 years and you look at and you, you rank where the current Padres team is in terms of talent and and future talent that they control versus where they were in those other 24 seasons, you know, this team is not at the top of that list. I don't even think it's in the top five on that list actually, and there were some bad years there, but. That's just, yeah, let's, yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, honestly, it's not the most beloved era, but the, uh, you know, the early Brian Giles era is probably the longest sustained period of competitiveness and playoff, you know, getting to the playoffs as the franchise has ever had. I mean, it is, it is that. Yeah, I mean, some of those rosters were very underratedly good. I mean, they moved to Petco and we didn't know that Petco was such a, pitchers park at that point in time and so those first couple years there you know those offensive numbers didn't look great but you know looking back now and you look at those rosters you had someone like for example in uh, Bud Black's first season with the Padres you know the Matt Holiday game uh, that season the Padres had a fantastic roster you look up and down it you know they they had players producing you know, Josh Bard had a 360 on base percentage. Brian Giles was still, you know, Brian Giles. Adrian Gonzalez had a great year. Khalil Green, I think their shortstop had 57 extra base hits that season. Jake Peavy won the Cy Young. I mean, 
there there are teams in recent history that aren't 10 years in the past that had more talent on, I want to say, pitching and hitting than the current Padres do. So that whole, this is the best position the Padres have been in in 10 years, especially after they just traded a bunch of their top prospects. That's garbage. I think, you know, I, I think the one thing I do yeah. want to give Fowler credit, though, for on that is that, you know, I think from an ownership standpoint, you know, ten, in the past 10 years, I think we are at the best position financially. I, but there's a caveat here. I think Ron Fowler is sticking his nose into baseball operations, which almost undoes all of that, right? So there are, there are places where that's true and places where it's not true. Uh, if well, in, they're in the best position financially because of the work that uh, Morad and Garfinkel did with the TV. Con- I mean, I know you don't care for Tom Garfinkel, but well, he, they're the ones who negotiated the TV contract. Well, that was not a good thing for the team, actually. I mean, the the con- the TV contract, just getting a new one, I mean, every team gets a new one, right? And they all get nice big contracts right now. But the way that that one was negotiated, there was all that money that was skimmed off the top. So I don't give them credit for that at all. Oh, besides that. Besides yeah, that besides the fact that 20% of our, you know, TV but contract... At the, at the time the contract was signed, you know, Morad was not uh, trying to skip out of the ownership group. Right, but I'm... I'm I mean, that, that was negotiated at the point of the sale of the team. That wasn't negotiated at the time of the TV contract being signed. That's on Sealy. Bud Sealy's the one who allowed that. I, I guess. I, I guess all I'm saying is that every team seems to be getting a, a, a nice baseball TV deal, and, and most of those other ones don't include the owner skimming 20% off the top or whatever it right. was. But, Man, I went back and looked at the 2004 Padres. Uh, you know who the two highest wars were on that team? 2004. So they had just moved. They had two five-plus war players. All right, so I'll go, you know, Brian Giles. I think he probably had like a 410 on base percentage or something absurd. And maybe, hmm, I don't know if Kleska was still good or if it was Phil Nevin or maybe Mark, was Loretta there yet? He's on the roster, yeah. Uh, I'll go Loretta. You're right. Mark Loretta had 5.8 war that year. Giles had five. Khalil Green, 3.2. Ramon Hernandez, three point one. Like the team, you know, Sean Burroughs, who we all hated, two point two. I hated like until his, was ten. his. I guess I'll I'll throw this on the podcast. But his sister, I met his sister at college, UC Santa Barbara. Uh, she apologized on behalf of the Burroughs family for the way Sean played. Oh. Actually, no, 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 no. Actually, said that Sean wants me to say this to Padres fans because he feels like he let us down. Ever since then, I've forgiven Sean Burroughs, so I don't have any animosity towards. Uh, his bustness for the Padres, but he did have that decent season. I'd kill for a third baseman with 2.2 WAR at this point. Um, you know, like this team's talented. Like you got it, it's seventh and eighth on the team in WAR. You got Jay Payton and Ryan Klesko at 1.7. Like that means that the top eight players in the field were at 1.7 WAR or above. Like we would kill for this at this point. We had an awful manager, though. It should be noted that we had zero pitchers that were above one war, though. So, uh, yeah, I guess that was the weakness with this team. But, yeah, again, it, like, just the – I guess this is technically out of the 10-year range that Fowler cited, but I imagine he wasn't really doing the math on that. Yeah, but that 2007 uh, team is a pretty similar roster. I know it's not completely up and down the same, like, you know, replace Josh Bard and – Ramon Hernandez, but, you know, Khalil Green had a great year. You know, 
switch out Phil Nevin with Adrian Gonzalez, who I think had 30 home runs and 100 RBIs in 2007. And you had the Cy Young award-winning Jake Peavy, Chris Young, Greg Maddox. I think they had just gotten Heath Bell, and he, he threw, you know, he had like 100 strikeouts that year. Trevor Hoffman was still there. I mean, that was a really good roster. It really was, if you go back and look at that. And that is within that 10-year window. So, like, that itself makes, makes the thing false. Man, Jake Peavy had .6 war just from hitting that year. Yeah, very underrated part of playing National League Baseball is how you're pitching. Yeah. I am reminded of that every time Despondia stars. Yes, yeah. But he makes up for it in comedy. I don't think that's how it works on the baseball field. Well, you know, when you get to this point in the season where you're at a two and actually sub 2% playoff odds, uh, you kind of take pride in some things like that. I mean, if that's all we're going for, we could probably get, you know, avenging Jack Murphy and RJ's throw out there for some more comedy. Than, than I would buy a ticket for that. I would go to that game. Okay. Well, I mean, so, I mean, then we're, we're back to, like, where, where do we go from here? And I, I worry that D painting us in the corner like that and Fowler painting us in the corner is, like, a preview of the offseason. Which, of course, be, could be offset by them just investing more money into 2016 payroll. That, that's the solve-all. And Fowler does repeatedly say that payroll's going up, but, um, you know, it's been reported also that it's going up, but it's going up to $120 million. So, yeah, that's not maybe that they're going to go up to higher. I don't know. I doubt it, but maybe. You know, I've learned enough to know there's empty promises that are very easily made by ownership, right? And so they have season tickets to sell. They have an all-star game selling up. This might just be a giant push to up their, you know, season ticket base. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a bad strategy. I think there are a lot of fans that will buy that. I mean, based on my experience with Change the Padres, even after the video came out, even after a lot of the evidence was presented, there were still a lot of people that would believe everything that came out of ownership's mouth. And we're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. And now, you know, now there is a little bit of evidence to support it. I mean, payroll did go up a lot uh, this previous offseason. They did sign a big contract, which they did not trade at the trade deadline. Um, so, you know, I... As much as I want to say it's probably a ploy, you know, I think there might actually be a chance that they seriously increase payroll, even past $120 million. But until it happens, all I can do is look at what happened at the trade deadline and, and say it doesn't make sense. Even though I just looked at the schedule, by the way. I know I had mentioned I thought they had something like 15 out of 20 home games. They actually have, starting Friday, they play 22 home games and only nine road games over a 31-game stretch. So see, yeah, I'm telling sales, you, I, I don't ticket sales. There is not a small part of this equation. I don't think. No, I don't doubt that. I mean, it's a business. They've got a huge sales and marketing wing. I, I don't doubt that there are, and I wrote about this, that there are material financial benefits to, to doing what they did in the off season and keeping fans excited and keeping, uh, um, recognizable names in the lineup. I mean, at the point that you, Ian Kennedy is not pitching that great this year, but he's a name people know. At the point that you sub him out for whatever we have in AAA, I guess Colin Ray, or you call up an Erlin, or you call up a Jason Lane, like I don't think they sell as many tickets doing that. You know, keeping Upton, I think, has a material benefit in more tickets sold. And I'm sure, you know, I don't have all the data. No, none of us have the data on the sales or the breakout of the ticket sales, but. 
I don't doubt for a second that someone scrubbed those numbers and tr and you know projected what sales would be like with or without Upton or with or with and without you know all the players, Tyson Ross, whatever. So I mean I, I agree. I think that's not an all. Uh, it's not a small part of the equation. I think it, it probably you know it's a material gain for the team. What would you estimate? So let's let's say the Padres sold at the trade deadline. Let's say they they dealt Justin Upton. Uh, because they were offered, you know, more than a first-round pick compensation in return for him, and they dealt. Let's say they found they got a good offer for Craig Kimbrell. They dealt him. Uh, they were able to flip James Shields' contract. Maybe they had to eat some of it, but they got back some, you know, material prospects in return. You know, how do you think, in terms of fans per game, what would be your ballpark estimate on how that would affect, you know, per game going forward the rest of the season? How would that affect attendance? Um. It's hard to say because I don't know – the team doesn't reveal the breakout of season tickets versus you know, walk-up or, or single-game single sales. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the season ticket base is that gets counted for every game. But I would say out of the non-season tickets, 25% maybe. I mean I think it, it really would have been a PR disaster. I, I think that you and me and a lot of you know hardcore fans understand the economics of baseball. Mm -hmm. But – the average fan that was excited for Matt Kemp getting traded for um, immediately jumps in with, you know, same old Padres. It's coinciding with Chargers training camp starting up. Like, that's the just the death spiral for the for the Padres fan base. And it's hard, you know, no one's talking about the 2016 payroll nightmare um, because I don't know. I don't think people understand it. I mean, the only person I've heard talk about it in the media really is Darren Smith sometimes and Craig Elston. I, well, Beyond I, that, I hear it on 1360. It's not mentioned. I, I've heard it on 1360 a little bit, so I want to give some credit there, but, but yeah, no, maybe it's, a little, it's under, but I don't think they've really gotten into it either. I mean, I've heard Dave and Jeff mention it, but they, they aren't really pointing out that it, it's a looming disaster that needs addressed. I, so I, it's I, hard. It's hard for, for Mike D. I still think a lot of that is very movable. Like I, I still think you can, first of all, and, and I think we, we brushed on this earlier, I don't consider Jed Jericho's contract to be a bad contract. I honestly don't. I, I don't understand the reason for dumping it. He's still a, a, a mid-20s second baseman that plays adequate defense and has some power who had an off year and a half. Like that, Who's only making $4 million next year. I know. So that, you know, I want to start there. I mean, the real, the real red herring here is Melvin Upton's contract, which they took back in that uh, Kimbrell deal. And... You know, the hope there is that he can play reasonably decent compared to his past because he has he did have many good seasons in the past. And look, I know he's never going to going to be worth all of the values of whatever 17 million he's going to get paid next year. But I think there's a chance he can deliver some of that. Like, I'm not I'm not as doomsday as you are on the payroll for next year, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, because I think a lot of those pieces can be moved. Like, I know James, like, for example, I think if James Shields was a free agent at the end of this year, he would get more money in a three-year deal than what the Padres are going to have to pay him in the next three years. I think that's truthful. Like I, just based on the way that, and I know it's a good pitching market, but I, just based on the way these contracts work, the fact that you can rarely sign pitchers to three-year deals that are very good, I still think he would cost more than that. And that, so that makes him not even a negative. I think Kimbrel's not a negative. I think he has a lot of value even on that contract. So I. I, I guess I look at the roster and I, I point at Matt Kemp. Obviously, the Padres will have to pick up the whole tab there. 
Um, he's been playing better lately, but he's not going to be worth that contract. Probably not. And, and Melvin Upton. And, you know, how do you get around those two? And I don't have the answer to, to that. But I well, think, you don't. I think, no, no one's taking them. I mean, they're stuck here. I don't think anyone will take them. No, I don't think I don't think so really either. Shields is really the only Shield. Can, I, I never understood the point of moving Kimbrel. Um, yeah, Shields is the one that makes sense to move. I mean, he makes the most money. Out of the performance that we'd be expecting from him, I, I think his performance is replaceable for less money. I don't. Um, I don't agree with that. I. I just. I still think that he earns that contract next year. Maybe not. And you know, you know, there's a difference between what we have to pay him and what he'll produce next year, and what we have to pay him and what he'll produce at the in the last year of that contract. And I agree. In- well, he's not getting younger, and he's on pace for about two WAR this year. Um, I mean, he's fine. He's a fine pitcher. But, he's not but, a twenty twenty one million dollar pitcher though. Right, but WAR is so based, especially Fangraphs, especially is is so heavily uh, FIP adjusted, which just basically looks at you know, the fielding independent pitching stats, like home runs, walks, strikeouts, and some of the other uh, stuff that goes in that equation that's, you know, less than those components. I still think there might be a chance, like a reasonable chance, that a lot of it is just based on these fluky home run uh, statistics. Because it, the strikeouts are there. The walk ratio is still reasonably decent. Like, I, I you know, his fastball velocity is still there. Like, I, he hasn't materially lost anything other than the fact that, you know, a couple more fly balls have gone out of the ballpark this year, and that will really, really hurt your war values because it kills your fit, and that's what Fangraphs war is based off of. So I, but the the problem with this argument is that that's fine. Uh, Shields is fine. I mean, I, I like having him on the team. You keep him, and you're looking at you know an incumbent payroll of a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So you're in the same position. How do you improve the team with twenty million dollars to spend? And that's that's you know assuming Fowler follows through and raises payroll another ten percent, which is what he raised it last year. Um, you know, it's there's not, a lot of holes to fill. You're filling Upton. It's not an unfair you know, question. I I, wa- I wonder, you know, I, I love so like without Norris. clearing I, for, payroll. For example, I love Derek Norris. I, I really like him as like a person. I think he's very entertaining. It's great to have a catcher that has you know a reasonable slugging percentage, even though he's not playing. Uh, that great recently, you know, he has the ability to to get a bunch of extra base hits and stuff. But you know how that actually translates on the field when you consider the entire catching package. I'm not sure he's that much better than Austin Hedges right now. And uh, I wonder if there's a market for Derek Norris and if you can move him for a cheap part elsewhere. And you know that helps fill one of those holes. You know, if you can move Norris for a third baseman on a team that has multiple third basemen, for example, but needs a catcher. I don't know. I, I'm not as doomsday on 2016 as you are, particularly when it comes to the payroll, because I think some of the high payroll guys are movable for for maybe cheaper talent. So I don't. Well, know. I think it's possible. Yeah, Derek Norris isn't one of them. Derek Norris isn't high payroll. So no, no, no. But I you, guess what you I'm, still got those four saying, contracts. I guess what I'm saying is with with Norris and Hedges, you kind of have surplus value there, just sort of sitting on the bench, not playing every day. But if you trade Norris for you know value at another position, well then, you know that in in essence that takes up that that gives you more payroll flexibility, right? So if they were able to trade Norris for a third baseman, then you know they don't have to go out and sign a third baseman. So it just right, yeah, that's very true. Um, but what other assets do we have that are really tradable for a useful piece? I mean, there's Norris, and, and that's assuming you're keeping the high salary guys. We're keeping Ross. We're keeping Kashner. 
we still have to fill Kennedy's slot. I'd hope that we would fill Despagne's slot. You know, we've got Upton, shortstop, and hopefully first base. I don't think Yonder is tradable for much. I don't think he's tradable for a starter. Maybe a starter. I, I don't know. I don't know what he's tradable for, but I don't think it's much. So, like, you've got these holes. You've got $20 million. You want to keep the big contract guys together, the core, I guess, or, or we're stuck with some of those big contracts. Like, the flexibility to do things is very limited if we're committed to keeping those players. Yeah. I mean, it's not a great picture. I'm just, I just can see ways that it could conceivably work. If there was a market, if the market developed for Derek Norris, I think that's one way that you can, uh, you know, do that. If, if in the offseason there's uh, renewed interest in Tyson Ross and you have the ability to sell high in him again after, you know, he's, by all accounts, he's had a very good season for the Padres, um, but he's about to get more expensive. You know, if you can trade him for cheaper, controllable pieces, you know, that can help. May- Obviously, then you lose his production in 2016, but, you know, maybe then that other stuff you get back there can be moved around. You know, I think th- I, there's some wiggle room. There's obviously a lot less because of Melvin Upton's contract, because of Matt Kemp's contract. I just don't think it's entirely doomsday. I'm, I'm willing to see what happens in the in the offseason. Maybe they can... Oh, maybe they I can. certainly am too. And AJ certainly proved he's creative, so it's hard to predict what he may do. But I, I think that the basic premise of keeping keeping the higher-priced players together to include Kashner and Ross, that's, that's my problem. If, if that's the plan to keep them, then I think we're totally boned. I mean, you have to clear up payroll somewhere. I mean, ideally, it was going to be Kashner, that they could trade Kashner for anything, clear his payroll for next year. But, I mean, that didn't happen. And now he's going to have less control for whatever team is acquiring him. Yeah. I, I Well... And, and, and this isn't even taking into account the fact that Shields and Kemp are both old and regressing. So um, I'm not even taking into account any kind of regression going into 2016. How, how movable is Kashner now, though? I mean... We talked about it last podcast, and I think he has some value, but I have went back and I thought about it some more. I still think he has a lot of value based on his performance on the field, but there's a compensation attached to him again, you know, and he's not going to accept a qualifying offer. I, I can't see a guy who for so many years has, you know, declined to engage in extension talks. I, I can't see how he would accept a one-year qualifying offer at the end of next offseason. So... You know, you enter that. No, you enter, I, you enter I don't that quandary again, right? You enter that quandary again. But I guess when you trade him, you have, you know, the, the compensation stays attached to him. So I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it ends up ends up working for the team getting him in return. But actually, speaking of compensation, that was one little bit of research. I actually did real research, and uh, Ian Kennedy is represented by Scott Boris, which only increases the chances of him declining. A qualifying offer. No, no one. I'm telling you, no one is going to accept a qualifying offer. They just well, especially a Boris client is not going to accept it. No, it's no, it's not. I mean, I don't think we, I think we're on the same page here. The Potters won't offer it probably, but they should because he would decline it. I think that's if if you had to do the the game state little matrix there where, you know, offer not offer on one axis and on the other accept decline. I think the optimal play or the the most probable scenarios the Padres don't offer it but it would he would have declined anyways so but we'll see I mean if it would be disastrous if he accepted it right I mean 
that would completely cripple the payroll. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that would cripple the payroll. There's a lot of things that could cripple the payroll, like re-signing Upton, crippling the payroll, uh, Kennedy accepting. It's not Kennedy accepting is not a total disaster. I mean, it's only a net increase of like five million dollars, I think, to payroll, but it's certainly not optimal. I mean, you're going to have to replace his spot in the rotation anyways, and there's not a lot of AAA depth to fill it. I think Jason, I think Jason Marquis is available, though. I think he is still available, yeah. he's. Uh, I hear he's an innings, uh, innings eater. Yeah, he's great. We should get him again. Uh, yeah. I mean, Brandon Morrow's hitting the free agent market. We could pick him up. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Brandon Morrow right now. He's... he's uh. Let's not. It's sad. I think, I think his Padres days are over, and we can officially stop talking about him. Is it, though? We kept J- Josh Johnson around, and we kept Pryor around for, like, three seasons. So. Yeah, I guess. I mean. We've got to start grooming Morrow for the front office. I mean, that's usually our, our M.O. Okay. Um, what, what else is there to talk about here? That's probably it. Covering the trade deadline, you know, we're riding out the season. I am having fun with it. I I, I will say as a fan and a a frequent visitor to Peco Park that uh, the team, I mean, they're not that great, and some things are really infuriating, like Melvin Upton charging uh, a line drive to center and having a ball go under his glove like today. You know, it's infuriating, but – I don't know. I think there's more to. I, I like not having to watch Chris Nelson at third base like last year. You know, it's it's already better. I think could be worse, right? Yeah, and I mean, I guess there is still the distant two percent chance that they make these. Uh, well, I guess it's a two percent chance they make the playoffs, but probably slightly higher that they make these September games that I have tickets to uh, more entertaining, right? But but that, I mean that said, I if they had traded. Uh, Craig Kimbrell for a you know exciting prospect that's almost base major league ready who came up for a cup of tea in September you know I would buy a ticket to see that anyways so maybe I'm not the right person for this but I, I mean I guess I get I do see where it's going to be slightly more exciting here at the end of the year than if they had traded but yeah I mean, even watching on TV, it's a little more exciting. Like, we still get to see Justin Upton hit for another month and a half. Well, whenever he's Um, able to play. Yeah, but, I mean, it's still a net. As a fan and a spectator and someone wanting to be entertained, it's it's better. I'll say it's better. And, and again, I think the, the teams calculated that feeling and that sentiment and turned it into a dollar value, which is fine. They're, that's what they do. And um, I, I, in that respect, I, I kind of agree with what they did. So, so I'm excited for the last two, two months of the season. I mean, it really could be a lot worse. 2014 seems like a long time ago, but that team was so bad. All of the teams. Like, I mean, every team under Fowler has been awful. Let's see. But 14, like, to watch it at the park, like, a, a, a Tuesday night game was just dreadful. Like, seeing Irving Falou play on at Petco Park for the Padres is, like, the worst. The worst. I think Mark Kotze was hit cleanup at some point last year. He did hit cleanup, yes. Not, not once, many times. Yeah, that's so. That's I mean, good. look where we're at now, and we still kind of suck. Uh, I think we're going to end up 
maybe 500, maybe a little below 500, but, um, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a better time to, to watch this team, I think. And it's a small victory and, you know, stuff needs to be done for 2016, but, um, you know, could be worse, right? Definitely could be worse. No, no question about that. Yeah. It's a good marketing slogan for the team. Yeah. I was going to say that's not necessarily the, it could always be worse. Okay. And then they just have a picture of Chris Nelson. I, I'd go with Brooks Conrad. That's that's who I go with there for that one. I don't know. I would rather watch Brooks. Brooks Conrad hit a home run for the team at least. Did Chris Nelson not hit a home run for the Padres? I don't think he did. He was a defense first player, I think. Oh God, I'm looking at this roster from 2014, and it's. Very sad. Very, very sad. Well, it's a good podcast, I think. It's a good wrap-up. Um, I think as we go, we can maybe do uh, – maybe when we drop down to under 1%, we can discuss where the team's at. Um, maybe. Or and, you know, there is – You know, 5%. You know, who knows? Maybe they go on a little run here and we get another exciting podcast in. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, or maybe James Shields gets claimed on waivers and we let him go, and we can talk about how great that would be for our future. Or Ian Kennedy throws the first Padres no-hitter, and then we can just come back on here and told everyone, tell everyone that we told him so. Yeah, I would really, really enjoy that. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, until next time, uh, go Padres. Go Padres. <laughs>